invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn the book of Galatians. Um, some of you have noticed that we've moved pretty rapidly, really, for me anyway, through Galatians 1 and 2, really, as far as we've gone, um, remembering that we really have been building out from a study in Acts that had already gone through many of the events that are described here, and we're trying to just pick out why Paul is going through these historical things that happened in his life and in the early church. And we will be slowing down significantly as we get into the last few verses, about the last five or six verses of Galatians, and then into chapters 3, 4, and 5, where we will be uh, taking a lot of time. Uh, Chapter 6 will probably be a little bit quicker, but we'll be taking most of our time in 3, 4, and 5. Um, we do have some some Christian living instruction there in chapter 6 we will take a few weeks on, but um, we are moving through this portion pretty quickly. Uh, we left off last week really considering uh, the very strong language of Paul against those who would add to the gospel in any way, shape, or form. And that pervert it, and we are quick to identify them and to uh, agree, hopefully, with uh, his assessment of them that they are false brethren. And again, we talked about whether you want to see that as brethren who speak falsehoods or those who call themselves brethren who are not because they are false. And the evidence here is that they... Uh, come in by secret, they are there to spy out our liberty, uh, they're trying to bring us into bondage, and all of that I would consider uh, to be evidence that they are not true brethren, but are, but are called by that moniker, um, but yet they are not. And so very strong language, okay, very strong. And we're not real comfortable with that kind of language in our day and age to call someone on it and... Uh, and really uh, bring it to the forefront. And that's going to crop up again in Galatians 2 of the boldness of Paul. But this boldness is not derived from his personality. Um, and that we need to understand is that this isn't just a personal, a personality issue with Paul. Um, in fact, the evidence is from how they the Corinthians talked about him and his enemies talked about him, is that he was pretty mild and, um, and not very eloquent. And uh, in dealing with people and teaching, he was bold with the truth. But in terms of his personal nature, we don't really find him imposing himself upon people. We don't find this dominant personality. I think a lot of us, when we think of the Apostle Paul, think of him in those terms. Um, but if you, because of his writing, um, but if you look at how he describes himself and how others described him of his peers uh, in his day, they described him as slow in speech. They described him as tender, as 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 a softy, basically as a pushover almost. Um, and that's really his personality. And so we're not talking about well, that's just his personality, and my personality doesn't feel comfortable with that, so I'm going to ignore that. Um, no, uh, in fact, uh, it runs contrary to his personality, but
but his writings are necessary. And I think the boldness we see here is how much he loved God, how much he loved the church, and how um, he understood that this work of God was under attack. And he was, his responsibility was to defend it. And that is clearly there, and he is going to fulfill that responsibility. So please don't get the idea that Paul is this, uh, in his human personality, was this bold, uh, confrontational kind of person. He was certainly willing to confront people, um, but uh, he's more of the guy that uh, will give the stamp of approval and sit there and hold your coat while you do it. Remember? He was the guy that said, yes, you should stone that guy. I'll hold your coat. <laughs> I'll hold your coat. I'll give you my stamp approval, but I'm not really the guy to go out there and start throwing the rocks. Um, he'll, he'll go with the people, that uh, the authority, and exercise that on behalf of the authorities that stand above him. But uh, he has some people with him to implement it. But we find that... Um, He's going to not only confront the false brethren, but he's also going to confront another category of, of and another source where error can come in. And that is true brethren who are either inconsistent and hypocritical or that are just plain confused. And this, that are don't know or are ignorant of it. And these have to be addressed too. And they're going to be addressed sometimes very boldly, but never in the fashion of the language we've already seen in Colossians 2, where we are essentially saying, get them out from your midst as quickly as you can. Remember, we saw these people in Antioch, and Paul responded very powerfully to them, and it demanded a trip down to Jerusalem to resolve this. And he's rehearsed that history with us already. And so we want to look uh, into that really more next week. But I want to take a little bit of time. We might get to it this week. But I want to take a little time to talk about how this was all resolved. Remember in Antioch that here came these Judaizers from Jerusalem saying, you have to be circumcised, you have to keep the law, you have to hold to all this, you can't just receive Jesus. That's not sufficient. Um, you also have to become a good Jewish person. And, of course, Paul and Barnabas hit that right away. They don't, let that, they don't tolerate that for a second. Um, they're going to create contention over that. They're going to discount it. They're going to uh, speak against it. They're going to reason against it. And all the way down to Jerusalem. And we come to the conclusion of that meeting in Jerusalem. And that's really described for us here in verses 6 through 10. And it probably, it, well, it, should, it doesn't probably, it definitely bothers us, I would think, um, the conclusion that was reached. But I think that we read a little more into it than it should. Uh, but let's go ahead and read some of that and see uh, what happened. Verse 6, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. 
They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now we read that, and just like when we were studying the book of Acts, we're kind of, is this really a good solution? Is this really a God-honoring solution? We look at this and say, well, is Peter then saying that we're not responsible for reaching the Gentiles? Is, is Paul then concluding that he's not responsible for reaching the Jewish people? And, that's, and that can be communicated in this language. We come to that conclusion in language, but we obviously know from our study in Acts that what Paul did everywhere he went was he first went to the Jewish community, the Jewish population of any place that he went, and shared Christ with them when they rejected that. And it didn't always happen that way. They didn't always reject it. But when it came to strife, when it came to, to them blaspheming, when it came to them in dispute over it and just discussing it instead of, and we've already delineated who's received it and who has disbelieved, um, then he moves on to the Gentiles. So obviously, this meeting in Jerusalem, this description that you guys reach the Jews, I'll reach the Gentiles, isn't an exclusive statement. It is not saying that I'm not going to share Christ with any Jews, and nor is it Peter's statement that we're not interested in reaching any Gentiles. Um, it may sound like that in our text, uh, but we know that it is not God's will for us to be that narrow in our approach to ministry, that there isn't a my people that we're going to reach, um, but rather there is the people of earth need to be reached. And it's, and I've spoken to this issue many, many times, I'm pretty sure, um, that we are sharing the gospel from one culture to uh, the, the culture of Christ, the culture of the Bible. We're speaking from that culture to the culture of sin. And we need to recognize that that is the barrier And there are various cultures, if you will, of sin uh, on the other side of Scripture, on the other side of of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And each of those needs to be addressed, um, but it's not that, well, I'm only called to these people. Uh, I don't see in Peter's attitude nor in Paul's attitude that this conclusion of that meeting uh, meant that I don't feel any responsibility to reach Gentiles. Well, I don't feel any responsibility to reach Jews. So you do the Jews, I'll do the Gentiles, and we'll go our merry way. Um, that is not the plan of God. That is not what, what Jesus communicated in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and following. The command was that all of us would go to preach the gospel to what? In Mark, every creature. You go to everyone, to all the world, um, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world that our responsibility is to reach all men with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is Paul communicating here of what happened there um, in terms of, uh, of their ministry and how does it affect us? And let's again set the stage of what, what he's arguing. What he is arguing here is he's trying to establish um, an authority to address false teaching that had come into the Galatian church. His personal authority that was given to him from God, from his calling, and the effectual work of God through him over the years to this date of this writing. 
And he is trying to establish that none of this was the work of men, but it's the work of God. That these others are coming in, having their own agenda that is man-oriented. Their gospel is man-oriented. You work and earn it. You deserve it. You, 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 you save yourselves by your endeavors. Um, and then you have them having human authorities. They're claiming to be representatives of the Church of Jerusalem, of the Jerusalem Council, perhaps, of the apostles, uh, or maybe just some rabbis that had come to Christ. Um, and so he is establishing authority, and that's really what this is all about. And so this isn't uh, an agreement to divide the world in half and some are there to reach these people and some are there to reach those people. But rather it is a, a description of authority. And this really poor, is brought out mostly, I think, in uh, uh, verse 7 and 8 where it talks about they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me and, and for the circumcised to Peter. So what they recognized was that God is doing some powerful things through Paul, especially among the Gentiles. And he is presently still doing some things with Peter as the leader, if you will, over the, the circumcised congregation. Remember that early on in the early church that everyone came to Jerusalem. They were meeting in Solomon's porch. They uh, were Jewish um, through and through. And it wasn't until later on that Peter ventured out into the communities around Jerusalem and Judea uh, and really never did, he did go some distance out into Samaria, but uh, really right in Judea. And it was in that setting that God comes to him and introduces him supernaturally by revelation to Cornelius. And we say, well, see, Peter had the keys to the kingdom, and that's description, that Peter set that precedent of these people didn't need to be circumcised. They didn't need any of these other things. They simply need to receive the Holy Spirit, which they had evidence of by speaking in languages that they hadn't studied, um, probably Hebrew, for the sake of the group that was there with Peter. Um, and so they received baptism and were brought in the church. And so uh, many people say, well, that opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Well, what it did was it gave Peter an experience to share to the Jerusalem council that uh, we can't interfere. This is God's purpose. This is God's will. This is how God's going to reach the world, not just Israel, but all the world. Uh, and what Paul here was to say is that Peter didn't really explore that that far. He didn't take it any farther than that. There was the Cornelius event. He goes back to Jerusalem. It was interesting, um, but he kind of just logs it, right, in his experience book. He just kind of logs it and doesn't do anything with that. He doesn't really see a reason to go back and speak to the Jerusalem leadership and say, we need to devise an a, a outreach plan for the Gentiles um, based upon what happened over here in Caesarea. Um, no, or Joppa, sorry. Um, we got a... God wants us to reach the Gentiles. It was in his commandment, the other most parts of the world. Uh, it was in his commandment, reach every creature. Um, we sh and he didn't go home and do that. He didn't run back to Jerusalem, having given, been given this revelation by God, and say, we need to reach the Gentiles. Let's figure out a 
ministry plan to do that or identify some people to do that didn't happen. Uh, but yet, up in Antioch, things were occurring, and Barnabas goes and gets Paul, brings him in, and they're reaching many Gentiles. And the church becomes more Gentilian than it becomes Jewish. And, and uh, this becomes the flavor of all of Paul's ministry. And Paul now runs with this. And he uh, is chosen by God. It says that he was used. He was, um, how, what's the word, uh, committed with the gospel, that it worked effectively through him. Uh, that he becomes essentially the apostle toward the Gentiles, as Peter maintained himself as the apostle toward the Jews. Uh, that Peter almost entirely uh, focused his ministry there in the early stage of the church. Remember, Galatians is a very early written book, a letter, one of the first letters uh, that Paul writes. And so we find uh, this is not a segregation of ministry that I'm only going to go to the Jews and you're only going to go to the Gentiles, but rather in terms of authority, that's what Paul's trying to establish here, in terms of authority, who do you go to to answer the theological challenges that happen in our churches? And what Paul's trying to establish here is that I am carrying the authority of God for your church, Galatia, because you're largely Gentile. And for these people to go back and try to go to, to Peter and go to the Jerusalem church as their source of authority for revelation, uh, recognize that while they have given a stamp of approval to what we're doing, they didn't require Titus to be circumcised. Um, they have themselves seen the work of God through me and, and what he's doing in the ministry there in Antioch and beyond. Um, that they themselves uh, agreed that God's grace has been given to me and um, that we should be the ones to go to the Gentiles. We should be the one to establish, if you will, the the manner of ministry, the, the practices of the church, uh, particularly for the Gentiles. And this is where we, uh, under, we start seeing some of the divergence between uh, the Jerusalem authors of the New Testament and Paul and Luke. Um, and they're out there in more of a Gentilian ministry, um, including the writer of the book of Hebrews and such. And so what are we going to do with this? Well, these aren't separate theologies. They are different applications. And my contention would be that God moved more and more through Paul, as we see evidence of the volume of Scripture we have from him, and away from Peter, as Peter failed in many respects of fulfilling the demands of what the revelation of God put upon him. I mean, when God brings down a vision says, kill and eat, and he says, no, Lord, that's unclean. He says, don't you dare call these things unclean if I call them clean. And he goes and he sees Cornelius receive the Holy Spirit, and and all that happens, and he takes it home and sits on it. 
I mean, let's be honest, he sits on this fact, on this information that God has given to him, this experience that he had out there, um, and he sits on it. And it's not until years later when, when here comes Paul and Barnabas down from Antioch that he says, oh, I should tell you something. Remember when I went out there? And he relates the whole story of what happened. He says, certainly God's not a respecter of persons. He revealed it to me. But Peter essentially sat on it. And this is kind of leading into the next passage. And the next passage is the conflict that happened between Peter and Paul. Now, so far we have, here's the, here's the agreement between them. So they agree that um, we're overseeing the church of Jerusalem. We're kind of overseeing it, it, a very Jewish congregation. And how do we function as, as people of Israel and yet as followers of Jesus Christ? Um, and, and, and my contention has been that, that they uh, didn't succeed very well in that. And it's fascinating that there was, n- there was no scripture being written during that period among the apostles in Jerusalem. The scriptures that are written by Peter, James, John, all came later, much later, chronologically. They were not the early scriptures. And so uh, when you hear me speaking perhaps not as glowingly about what's going on in Jerusalem, um, remember that the only reason they left the Temple Mount was because God forced them out by persecution. Um, God had forced them to obey his command. And, and I think it's noteworthy that there was no scripture given through that channel during that early stage um, because I think that they were going the wrong direction. And so God wasn't there working. But they had agreement that we're going to see to the issues here. Um, we're going to give you this authority. So I have the authority of God. I have the authority of this divine commission that's tied to my conversion. Um, I have the authority of this message of Jesus Christ. But I also have the authority that was given to me with regard to the Gentile church, how it should be done. They gave me some some skeletal structure. Please, you know, be attentive to these things, and they're very minimal, as Paul communicates. Um, but uh, he's establishing his authority there. And, and so I'm supposed to go to the Gentiles. They're going to deal with the circumcised, uh, and that I'm going to be the apostle there, and so I'm going to be Peter to you. Well, Peter is Paul to them, <laughs> okay? Uh, don't get your Peters and Pauls mixed up there. Uh, and so that was the agreement, is that God is working through you, His grace is in you, and so we're going to kind of give you some very broad requests, some, some boundaries, and then just let you go at it. As the Lord leads you, go. Let the grace of God direct you. And Paul becomes the director, if you will, of the largely Gentilian church uh, for a season for its earliest season. And I would contend that he's going to add to that. And, and down the road, these other men are going to grasp it, I think, better. And it's interesting that then, then they start being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture. First, Second Peter, James, um, John's writings are all very late. First, Second, Third John. Uh, all these other writers are much later by and large, other than the Gospels, Matthew, um, well, Mark and then Matthew, and uh, 
Luke would have been the third written gospel. And so, and then John much later. And so, um, it really, God has put a lot on the shoulders of Paul, and Paul recognizes it. And, and I don't know that he fully understands it, but this, I think, is his working not only with the Galatian church, but also with himself of recognizing that I have more of a responsibility than just going out there and starting churches and getting a bunch of people saved. I need to lead them, and I need to make disciples, and I need to develop this ministry that is that the leadership in Jerusalem has kind of put blinders on themselves, and they're not going to look at it, you know, like we put on horses, so they don't see what's going on on either side of them. And, and that's what the Jerusalem church had largely done. And Paul's taken the blinders off, and now he realizes, I have some responsibility here. So we have the agreement there in Jerusalem, and then we have the disagreement. And this is, again, what it, what's entailed in, you go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the Jews. It's not exclusive, I'm not going to share Christ with anyone, but, but rather, it is an authority statement. And Paul's going to test that authority when Peter comes to visit Antioch in verse 11. Let's go and read verse 11. And uh, verse through verse, oh, we'll stop at verse 17 probably. So now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. <coughs> Excuse me. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. And we're going to stop right there. I'm going to get into the rest a little bit more so later. And we're going to take a lot more time in that. But in the contention, Paul, and there's a lot of discussion of where did the quote really end there. Some end at the verse 16, um, and some press it all the way to the end of the chapter. But we find in establishing his authority with the Galatians, which is really what all chapters 1 and 2 are really about, uh, that the divine origin, this is a divine origin. This isn't my opinion versus their opinion, like we talked about this morning. This is about divine revelation. And so it matters. And yes, you have to take a stand on one side or the other. There is no gray area of just being one foot on either side of the fence. Um, That's not pleasing to God. That doesn't resolve any of this. And so he's establishing his divine authority. And one of the evidences of that is that by God's working in his life, um, not only did he have this agreement with with Peter and the other men there in Jerusalem, But when it came to how Christianity was to be lived out, particularly in a Gentile church, um, it was Paul who determined the, 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 by which God determined how it would be lived out. It was through Paul's ministry. And so Paul wants to demonstrate that, listen, 
I didn't back down to Peter or Barnabas. Now remember, Barnabas was the guy who went and got him and brought him to Antioch. Um, he was his sponsor, if, if you will, into the, into the Antioch church. And, uh, and Peter, of course, is Peter. And so they come up there and everything is hunky-dory. We're all fine. We all have this wonderful fellowship. And then here come these men from Jerusalem and suddenly Barnabas, and, or suddenly Peter, and then even Barnabas. Oh, well, our Jewish friends are here. We better go sit over here and we'll sit on the other side of the room and there's all the Gentiles and here's all the Jews. And because, you know, we don't want to be unclean. Of course, they've already eaten with them. They've already spent time. Uh, but in the presence of these Jewish, apparently, believers, maybe some with some authority, um, Peter does wrong. And so Paul has to confront him in front of everyone. And again, this is not what we would want to see done. Correct? We certainly wouldn't want this to have be a conversation in the middle of a church service or in the middle of uh, a our soup and salad dinner for us to have this yet it was necessary it was necessary to be done um, because of the of the long-term impact if it was swallowed if paul just held his peace and said well once these guys leave we can go back to being no it had to be addressed why because they have given to me, they have assigned to me uh, the ministry of the church and Gentile world. And they have made this dichotomy, and so I'm not going to, they, they can, if they want that hypocrisy in Jerusalem, that's their business, um, but not here. Not in my house, which isn't his house, but not, not under my umbrella of ministry. And their umbrella, if they want that, I mean, you don't find him contending with them over being zealous for the law. You could almost taste that he wanted to, but you don't find him contending with them there. Um, that's their umbrella. He's going to submit to them. Here, the demonstration that this authority is there is evident by the fact that it was him, for him to confront them, to correct them, to rebuke them in front of everyone. And he does it by bringing forth their behavior and saying, listen, uh, just a few minutes ago, you were behaving like a Gentile. You had no problem with us. Um, and if you can live like a Gentile, why can't a Gentile live like a Gentile? Why do they have to be circumcised? Why do they have to keep all the food laws? Why do they have to keep it if you don't really have to keep it? You only keep it when other Jews are around. And now if they're here, you're talking about imposing it on these Christians, who were never Jews, who were never connected to Judaism through the law, they're connected only by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the only uh, avenue by which we are saved. And so he is still in the midst of establishing his authority to address this matter for the Galatian church. But he is doing it by showing that, in fact, he becomes the, the instrument that God is using to direct the church, at this point the Gentile church, but ultimately to direct the entire church to this new, wonderful, messy thing called the universal church. 
And it is messy, isn't it? We got Jews, we got Gentiles, we got people from all kinds of backgrounds, we got slaves, we got masters, we got soldiers, we got all these people. And, and how does it all come together? Men, women, where are the women? How, how, what's their role? How, how does that work? They're, they get saved the same, they have the same Holy Spirit there, and yet their role is distinct in the church. And, and uh, how do we, and, and that falls on Paul. And so it's no mistake that later on, and I think a great affirmation of what Paul's saying here, that God put this authority on me. I have to do my job is when Peter, in his book, says, you know, our brother Paul has written some really hard things to understand (laughs) that some have twisted. But Peter recognizes that God has been using Paul, and now finally it's when Peter is out there ministering among the Gentiles that God then begins to work through him with inspired revelation of Scripture. Uh, That we get first and second Peter. Um, And so when we pick this up and we begin to really discover uh, what Paul's authority extended to, I I think we don't realize just how powerful this, perhaps his very first book, really was. That he is going to set forth his argument that God has given him out of all this study of the law of Moses and the prophets, out of all of his... Uh, study in addition to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of what does this new body of Christ look like? How does it behave? What are we called to? Um, And this is going to be brought to bear in the definition of what does it mean to be at liberty? What does the liberty of the gospel afford us? What are its confines? And you might say, liberty has confines? Certainly it does. We all know that. There's a parameter to liberty, right? So we all know that your liberty to swing your arms around ends at my face. You are no longer at liberty to hit me. Okay. In fact, I'm pretty sure the law says you're not even allowed to pretend to hit me. Um, that's called assault. No. Yeah, that's assault. To swing your hand at me, even before you hit me, or if you don't hit me, that's assault. It's when you hit me, that's battery. When it makes contact, right? Isn't that the law? Come on, coppers. Yes, okay, I've got it right. And so it's, we, it, so that's the extent of your liberty, to move your hands around. Well, the liberty of our Christian experience has limits, too. And we're going to talk about those as we get to Galatians 5 and 6. Um, mostly chapter 5. but uh, So Paul is the one. He's the instrument that God is going to use to set this up. And even Peter needs to learn this stuff. And it's going to take Peter some time. And it's, and it's not an easy road. Um, these guys in Jerusalem, they are through and through Jews. And so is Paul. And that's why I think God used him is because he used perhaps the best trained of all of the Jewish church in rabbinic law and, and traditions to counter those very traditions. And so, yeah, God has kind of a sense of humor there, doesn't he? Uh, but you can see the necessity of that. 
Peter um, and the other apostles, they walked with Jesus, they heard him, um, but in terms of their formal training, um, while it was certain that the air region that Jesus came out of and the apostles was was pretty conservative. I mean, we would uh, we would look at that and we we compare that to like the Bible Belt, the United States, right in there. That's where there were, there are some strong, very conservative movements coming out from around that the northern and western side of the Sea of Galilee, where Caesarea and, and Nazareth were. There were some very strong conservative movements there. So we are not. But but we also know that in Jerusalem, they go, these were Galileans. I mean, they had strong conservative positions, but in terms of formal training, it was pretty limited. Well, God calls a man with all the credentials, formal credentials, and he's going to use him to really demonstrate and that it is not by the keeping of the law that we come to Christ, but by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the the impugned righteousness that uh, we receive from him, not our own righteousness that we stand before God in. And so he's establishing his authority, and that's really the the force of Galatians 1 and 2, and not just for the book of Galatians. I really believe that this argumentation that he uses here, this presentation, is forceful for all of Paul's writings um, why should the Romans bother with what Paul has to say in the book of Romans? Why should the Ephesians care what Paul has to say in the book of Ephesians? Um, there he just introduces himself as, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, called by God. But here he establishes his full criteria of why does God use him? It's because largely, I would contend, because the leadership in Jerusalem, frankly, dropped the ball. We'll take care of Jews. We'll, 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 you take care of those Gentiles. Lord bless you, brother. And conferred upon him um, by default almost, but a little bit more than that. It wasn't that they didn't do anything. They recognized that God had a plan, but they weren't willing to, to um, pursue that plan with God. And Paul was. And so God used Paul in a very powerful way, and we have him well establishing his credentials here of why he's called to do it, and he moves almost seamlessly, so seamlessly that we can't hardly tell where he stopped talking to Peter and started talking to the Galatians. He moves seamlessly into the theology of salvation versus the law. Is it the law, or is it Christ? Which one? Are we in bondage, or are we in liberty? Is it circumcision, or not circumcision? Which one is it? And we're going to see some of these things borne out. But this is really where we have him establishing himself um, as the, the instrument that God has chosen to develop and reveal what, the church should be um, as a new culture, its own culture, its own people. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for the testimony of Paul here and 
for your work in and through his life. And we recognize that you selected him and chose him. And we thank you for that work that you've done through him to help us to not only have a knowledge of the gospel, but what it should look like in our churches, what it demands of us, and and the limits that are there, as well as the careful light that he has displayed on the, what the Christian walk is and what it is not. And Lord, we uh, pray that we might be willing and not resistant to what Paul has to say in the balance of this book, knowing that it is of divine origin, that this is needs to be attended to because you gave it. And because you are God, we need to listen. And so Lord, we pray that you might continue to work in this study, in our reading of your scriptures, in, in the ministries of our church, that they might be honoring to you, that we might be in accordance with your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.